Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we'll talk about uh, space travel life on other galaxies, and where those civilizations are that are most like ours. Television programs these days are full of news about uh, UFOs and potential space travel, travel to Mars and the like. You see headlines that say, are we alone? Question mark. Well, of course, we're not, not alone. And our idea of space travel is more akin to a fly buzzing around a TV set than it is to actual space travel. Let's look at uh, some comments that Seth made way back in 1974 in session 712. He explains, Each system of reality is indeed surrounded by its probable realities, though any one of those probable realities can be used as the hub or the core reality, in which case all of the others will then be seen as probable. In other words, relativity applies here. So here you will remember Seth is explaining and talking about one of the most basic and one of the most significant concepts of which we're generally not aware, and that is that for every action we take, if we thought about some other actions and gave it some emotional input, there's another probable you or me who took that action. And as it is with individuals, so it is with countries and civilizations. All right, Seth continues. The rock bed reality is the one in which the perceiver is focused. That's the one you and I are in right now. From that standpoint, all others would seem peripheral. Taking that for granted, however, any given reality system will be surrounded by its probability clusters. These can almost be thought of as satellites. Time and space need not be connected, however. That is, the attractions that exist between a reality and any given probability cluster may have nothing to do with time and space at all. The closest probability satellite to any given reality may, for example, be in an, be in an entirely different universe altogether. In that regard, you may find brethren more or less like yourselves outside of your own universe as you think of it, rather than inside it. You imagine your universe is extending outward in space and backwards in time. You think of it as an exteriorized manifestation expanding perhaps, but in an exterior rather than an interior fashion. So what he's telling us is if we're looking for intelligences and civilizations more like our own, we might find those not in our <clears throat> not in our own galaxy, but in some distant galaxy as far as space is concerned. And <clears throat> next, he talks about uh, our idea of space travel. Your idea of space travel, for example, is to journey over the quote skin of the universe. Close quote. The skin of the universe. You do not understand that your system is indeed expanding within itself bringing forth new creativity and energy. 
Your universe is only one of many. So indeed, we're not alone. <laughs> Your in universe is only one of many. Each one creates probable versions of itself. When you journey on the earth, you move around the outside of it. So far, your ideas of space travel involve that kind of surface navigation. Earth trips, however, are made with the recognition of their surface nature. When you think in terms of traveling to other planets or to other galaxies, though, the same kind of surface travel is involved. As closely as I can explain it in your terms, your concepts of space travel have you going around space rather than directly through it. So when Joe McMonagall visits Mars, for example, with his consciousness, he goes directly through space. When future astronauts in a spaceship try to travel to Mars, as is currently planned, they would be going around the surface of space. Again, my mind always goes back to that example of flies buzzing around a, a TV screen showing a program, never actually traveling to what's in that program itself, but just buzzing around it. Uh, let's continue with more of uh, Seth's comments here. You are also viewing your solar system through your own time perspective, which is relative. You, quote, look backward into time, close quote, you say when you stare outward into the universe. You could as well look into the future, of course. Right? You could as well look into the future, of course, as well as looking into the past. Your own coordinates close you off from recognizing that there are indeed other intelligences alive, even within your own solar system. You will never meet them in your exterior reality, however for you are not focused in the time period of their existence. You may physically visit the very same planet on which they reside, but to you the planet will appear barren or not able to support life. That's indeed what happened to Bob Monroe's explorers who visited with their consciousness various planets. They saw rocks and terrain that seemed barren until, that is, uh, until they learned to some techniques to communicate with intelligences that might have been there in the past or future. Here Seth continues, in the same way others can visit your planet with the same results. Aha, uh -huh, we don't think about that, right? Others can visit our planet with the same results, thinking it's just a barren, dry planet. So there is then a whole great inner dimension, even to the space that you know, that you do not perceive. There are intelligent beings outside of your own galaxy adjacent to you. Theoretically, you can visit them with some vast improvements in your technology, but great amounts of time would be involved. Others have visited your own planet in that particular fashion. Yours is still a linear technology. Some intelligent beings have visited your planet finding not the world you know, but a probable one. There are always feedbacks between probable systems. A dominant species in one may appear as a bizarre trace species in another. The closest equivalent to your own kind of intelligence and being can actually be found not by following the outer skin of space, 
but by going through it, so to speak. Now, these comments remind me of two things. One occurred earlier today when I read about John Clauser, C-L-A-U-S-E-R, a Nobel physicist who was awarded that prize in 2022, when he established the link between multiple particles across any physical distance. Right? He established um, links between multiple particles across any physical distance. And that relates to the second thing, which is uh, number five of the fantastic 40 theories of quantum physicists that I've written about in books and discussed in various episodes. To refresh your memory, number five of the fantastic 40 is this. Subatomic particles seem to know instantaneously when decisions are made elsewhere, even as far away as another galaxy, and they instantly act on the information. Logically, this means we must admit they may be living, since they possess the ability to evaluate information and act on it. So the consciousness of Joe McMonagall, when he travels through time and space to other, quote, realities, his consciousness is acting more like the particles that were theorized by the quantum physicists and most recently demonstrated by John Clauser. The next remarks by Seth explain that a bit. He says, there are again inner coordinates having to do with the inner behavior of electrons. If you understood these, then such travel could be relatively instantaneous. The coordinates that link you with others who are more or less of your kind have to do with psychic and psychological intersections that result in a like space-time framework. Here I would like to give you a very simple example evocative of what I mean. He says, the other day, Rupert, that's what he called Jane Roberts, the other day Rupert received a telephone call from a woman in California who was in difficulty. Rupert promised to send healing energy. Hanging up, he closed his eyes and imagined energy being sent out from a universal source through his own body and directed toward the person in need. When he did so, Rupert, Rupert mentally saw a long, heavy beam extending straight to the west from a point between his eyes. It reached without impediment. He felt that this extension was composed of energy, and it seemed so strong that a person could walk upon it without difficulty. Subjectively, he felt that the beam of energy reached its destination, and so it did. Energy was almost instantly transmitted across the continent from one specific individual to another. When you are dealing with that kind of energy, and particularly when you believe in it, space does not matter. Emotional connections are set up and form their own set of coordinates. coordinates right? That beam of energy is as strong and as real as a beam of steel, though it moves faster than a beam of light. Think about that for a moment in terms of prayer and, and in terms of people sending healing energy to one another, positive thoughts to one another, uh, encouragement. Something very real is happening, though it may not be visible. Seth continues, If Rupert had tried to visit the woman by plane, he would have followed the curve of the earth. But in those terms, the energy went through in the, quote, straightest way. The psychic and emotional communication then cut through physical coordinates. 
Rupert was momentarily allied with the woman. Now, in the same way you can be allied and in tune with other probabilities that do not coincide with your space-time axis. The exterior universe, with its galaxies as you understand it, and on that level of activity, can be encountered on certain rigid space-time coordinates. You can visit other planets only in your present. Your present may be the past or the future as far as the inhabitants of a given planet are concerned. Your physical senses will only operate in their and your present. So that relates to our current limitations in terms of not being able to travel through time. We can only travel through space. And when we reach a destination, <coughs> destination it will only be in the present of the inhabitants there. So with our current belief systems and our current abilities, the results of any future travel in space on our part, the results are going to be quite limited. Seth explains, Effective space travel, creative space travel on your part, will not occur until you learn that your space-time system is one focus. Otherwise, you will seem to visit one dead world after another, blind to civilizations that may exist on any of them. Some of these difficulties could be transcended if you learned to understand the miraculous multi-dimensionality of even your own physical structure and allowed your consciousness some of its greater freedom. To some extent, you have neurologically blinded yourselves. You accept only a certain range of neurological impulses as your reality. You have biologically prejudiced yourselves. The physical structure is innately aware of many more valid versions of reality than you allow it to be. Seth, <clears throat> Seth then gives an example which does indeed relate to the experiences of uh, Bob Monroe's psychic travelers, uh, which occurred uh, many decades later. He describes it. Theoretically, a thoroughly educated space traveler in your time, landing upon a strange planet, would be able to adjust his own consciousness so that he could perceive the planet in various, various sequences of time. If you land upon a planet in a spaceship and find volcanoes, you would perhaps realize that other portions of that planet might show different faces. You have confidence in your ability to move through space, so you might then explore the terrain that you could not see from your original landing point. If you did not understand the change in qualities of space, you might imagine that the whole planet was a giant volcano. Here's an important point. You do not understand as yet, however, that in a way you can move through time as you move through space. And until you understand that, you will not know the meaning of a true journey or be able to thoroughly explore any planet or any reality, including your own. You imagine that your own Earth is mapped out and all frontiers known, but the linear aspects of your planet's life represent a most minute portion of its reality. Now, as you know, both uh, Bob Monroe and Joe McMonagall, and I'm sure others, uh, have been able to travel through space and time. Certainly, uh, certainly Bob Monroe's explorers also did. I, for one, sure hope that we as a nation, the United States, do not waste too much money, time, and effort on space travel before we can understand 
some of these things and develop the related abilities. For as John Clauser, the Nobel physicist I mentioned earlier, uh, as he stated, we are awash in pseudoscience. He was referring, of course, to uh, some of the current climate science theories, but given the nature of the experiments for which he got the Nobel Prize, I'm sure he would say much the same thing about our current understanding of space travel. That's the end of today's session, and once again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.